0: Chapter Twenty-Eight of For God and Gold. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. For God and Gold, by Julian Stafford Corbett. Chapter Twenty-Eight. I never saw my señorita again. Early next morning the pasha's anchors were hove up, and Mr. Oxingham went aboard to work her out through the tortuous channels by which she had entered more than six months ago. It took all the day and part of the next to get the ship free, and Mr. Oxingham did not quit her till she was quite clear of the shoals. What passed between him and my senorita, then I cannot say. Whether they found means whereby afterwards letters went after them, I do not know. But when years after news of his game came, I could not think it might have been so, and in spite of seeming contradictions in the varying reports that reached us, i have often wondered whether my senorita were not the same fair lady for whose sweet sake less than three years after when he had won undying honor by having sailed the south sea first of all englishmen he madly did that whereby he did not only lost all the wealth he had taken there but also his trusty company and his fair name a and gave up his wasted life beside as a pirate on a spanish gallows at lima but let that pass i bear him no ill will and trust he rests in peace as for all his sins his courageous spirit well deserves for such a spirit indeed he had and next to the general, our whole company had conceived greater hope in him than in any other. So that when a few days after the release of the prisoners, we came with the frigate and the pinnaces to the Catanas. He was chosen to lead the attempt to recover the French captain and the buried treasure for in spite of all frank could say we would not suffer him to go saying his life was too precious to us now to be risked on so dangerous a service seeing he was the only man on whom we could count to carry us back to england mr axingham undertook the desperate service with the same light heart wherewith he always faced the greatest perils, but was not rewarded according to his courage. For, on coming to the Rio Francisco, he found in most forlorn condition one of the men who had stayed behind with Monsieur Tetu. From him, he had news that the brave captain had been taken half an hour after our departure and his fellow a little later because he would not cast away his treasure and so could not run fast enough to escape. Moreover, he told us that some two thousand Spaniards and Negroes had been digging and running up the ground for the space of a mile. Every way about the place where they must have learned from the prisoners that our treasure was buried. This Mr. Axingham found to be true, for notwithstanding the report, he still would go and see for himself, and was rewarded by the discovery of thirteen silver bars and some coats of gold, which the Spaniards had not been able to find. At last, then, our voyage was indeed made. And all we wanted for our return homewards was another good stout frigate. And to this end, the general resolved to beat the same covert we had always found so full of game, to wit, the coast beyond Cartagena, about the mouth of the Rio Grande. All were very merry over the near hope of our return, except, I think, myself as for me i could not but brood over what i had lost or escaped from i knew not which to call it i fear i was but a very doleful companion and harry being now in great spirits with all the world would not let me rest so your senorita would not stay with you he said with a twinkle in his eye that much belied his pretended seriousness. I did not ask her. I answered. Not ask her, said he, and were for not in a devil's name. Why, lad, you were over ears in love with her. You are Mary, said I, a little testily, I think, for it angered me that both he and she should say this while i was forever telling myself i could not be so foolish i could soon have loved one of those glistening butterfly birds that are all sparkle and hammock and nothing of them beside well what of that said he were i pythagorean I could find no better case for a true woman's soul than one of those same dainty merry little hummingbirds that in these past months have so often beguiled us when there was little else to make us forget our troubles. True, I answered, such qualities will make a plaything, but never a wife. Well, I know not he said. But I think a wife is mostly what a husband makes her, and doubt if a man may not make as good a one out of a plaything as anything else. He should have known, yet I could not think him right, nor do I now. I had no heart to pursue such talk then. So, when he continued to rally me, I hastily told him the truth. Forgive me, he said, growing serious directly and putting his hand on my shoulder. If you can forgive such a brute beast as I am to torment you thus, what a cursed and broken tongue is mine. You would have kept her marriage from me to shield her fame. Truly, lad, in comparison to you, I deserve no woman's love. So he said, not knowing himself, for never was woman's love better bestowed than on him. Yet he knew it not. And I verily believe, felt that he never could do enough for his wife to repay her generosity in marrying him. She thought no less and often told me so, what wonder that their lives were happy we fell in with our friend's consort again soon after this and they bore us company till they heard we were going past Cartagena but this they would not venture with us since the whole plate fleet lay there with its well-armed wafters ready for sea so we parted company once more at St. Bernardo, and then Frank stood in towards the city and ran past with a large wind hard by the harbour's mouth in sight of the whole fleet. Not one dared steer out after us, though we braved them with our music and the cross of St. George at our tap and all our silken streamers and ancients floating down to the water defiantly. Perhaps it was a bit of a foolish bravado, but Frank laughed and rubbed his hands and said it was worth another requer to have done it, which the whole company agreed, being half mad to think how we had succeeded in our wild adventure. In the spite of the whole power of the Indies, the same night we fell in with a frigate of twenty-five tons, well laden with beetles coming out of the river. We told the crew of our necessity and used another persuasions to such good effect that at last they were content to go ashore and leave their ship in our hands, whereupon we returned to the cabezas and there having rested seven days to careen our ships and prepare them for the voyage home we bade farewell to our trusty cimmerons greatly contenting them with the iron work of the pinnaces, which we broke up to pedro frank presented a very goodly scimitar which poor Monsieur Tutu, had given him in return for his hospitalities at their first meeting. So greatly did the Cimarron chief value this toy that he would not be content, till Frank had accepted four great wedges of gold from his particular store. It was a private gift to our general, and I think it noteworthy as showing him just dealings. With his mariners and venturers, that he would not keep those wedges, but cast them into the common store, had not the venturer set me forth, said he, and had not you, my lads, so truly borne your parts, I should never have had this present. Wherefore I hold you should all enjoy the proportion of your benefits whatsoever they be so we took our leave to the spanish man and bearing room for cape antonio passed to havana where we took a bark the last of all our captures which had been many indeed both for numbers and humanity in dealing with them passed anything that had been seen before for at that time there were above 200 frigates belonging to the cities of the Spanish men on the islands ranging from 10 to 120 tons most of these we dealt with during our stay and some of them twice and thrice yet of all the crews we captured we heard not a single man save in the heat of fight nor did we burn or sink one ship save in act of war nor keep any save for our bare necessity and so it was that frank won himself a name of terror along the whole spanish man and therewith a reputation for kindliness and mercy both of which were never forgotten and stood him in good stead many a time in after years he protested that God manifestly blessed him for the just chastisement, tempered with mercy, which he had inflicted on the idolaters, for that he so bountifully supplied us with rain for our necessities, and wind for our speeding, that we had no cause to touch at new found land for our refreshing. But within twenty three days, We passed from the Cape of Florida to the Isles of Scilly and on Sunday morning, the ninth day of August, 1573, swaggered bravely into Plymouth Harbor amidst the thunder of our great pieces, the braying of our trumpets and the gay fluttering of all our flags and streamers and ancients. It was a sight to make a man forget all his sorrows to see the whole quickly brighten like a flower bed with the sunday clothes of the godly people of plymouth and yet not godly enough to stay with the preacher when they knew whose salutations were disturbing their prayers so with one accord they left the poor man and hurried off to hear the sermon frank was preaching with his ordinance and his music you men of galilee why stand you gazing up into heaven that was his text and so well he expounded it with a sight of our ballast to all who came aboard that i think there was hardly one that day that did not bow he would no longer stand still disputing and railing against antichrist but go forth and win gold for god out of the idolater's treasure-house wild were the rejoicings in plymouth and there was no one to check them the queen's grace was in no mood just then to hide our achievement under a bushel nay rather she liked nothing better than to flaunt it in Philip's eyes, to show him he had the power he little dreamed of to answer the late discovery, felonious practices of Spain against her glorious crown on life. Yet I tarried not longer than our business demanded, for Harry could not rest till he was at Ashstead again, nor would he depart thither without me in vain i urged him to go alone and let me follow later after he had seen his wife and all was smooth again no lad said he we fled together let us return together it was one cause drove us forth that is ended and forgotten if i can go back it is because you also may go back therefore one must not go without the other so we rode together Harry the sergeant and I and all the way to London it was for us triumphal procession the news of Frank's daring exploit had spread from town to town before us the people were half wild at the tidings and came gaping to see us with their own eyes and hear from our own lips the truth of the tale that seemed too glorious to believe to hear how englishmen at last had trod that inviolate soil which seemed to give a magic and resistless power to spain their dreaded enemy and had broken its mysterious spell for ever and how we had so plenteously enriched ourselves out of their very hard wells in despite of all their boasted power it seemed a strange and merry thing to them they could only laugh as though it were some rude jest we had put on the spaniards and make merry over Philip's and alva's wry faces to think of a poor english captain quietly plucking their beards with one hand and cutting their purses with the other that looming shadow in the south which yesterday was a monster of terror today was only a bogey to frighten babies withal so they strutted about boasting that though the king of spain might set all the silly geese over the sea in a flutter with his braggadocio, yet one quacking of an english drake was enough to set him shivering on his throne I trust we were more modest than they. Yet in those young days of England's growing strength, I cannot blame her if she laughed and crowded like a lusty baby over each new step he learns to take. Our triumphal progress should have put us in good heart. Yet as we approached our journey's end, a weight seemed to settle on us both. As we rode from Gravesend, each well-known object served to recall the misery of the day we saw them last, and for the first time, I think, Harry began to doubt whether it would be so easy to bring things back to the old track again. He had sent word forward that he was coming, but no more, not knowing what to write. Thus, We could not tell how things stood at Ashstead, or even whether Mrs. Waldive were there at all. It was afternoon before we reached Rochester, and we stayed at the Crown to dine, but did scant justice to the host's provision. Harry grew only more melancholy when we were alone. Would I could tell if she would forgive me, he said at last, how can i hope for it who left her so basely in the midst of all her grief tell me again jasper all you saw when you went back to ashed after that sad day so i told my tale again and dwelt on those words she sang giving him to hope for the best yet i think i will tarry till to-morrow he said it is late I am weary. It will be too sudden for her at so late an hour. I will tarry and send her word I am waiting here for her to bid me come. Maybe she is not there, and maybe grief has killed her. He sank his voice very low as he uttered this new fear. And before I could tell what to answer him, for God knows, I too had little heart. For this meeting the sergeant came in and said the horses were ready Harry looked at me but I could give him no help my shame was still quick within me and my only desire was to put off the end which I could not foresee but only fear sergeant said Harry at last desperately we think it too late to go on we will lie here to-night and come to Asted betimes to-morrow. Cry you mercy, sir, said the sergeant in a rebellious burst, if you can be within two hours right of that peerless lady and not go to her. It is more than I have power or discipline for, so I crave leave to ride on alone with all speed. But how know you? we are within two hours right of her said harry weakly under the sergeant's rebuking glance save your worship cried the sergeant is that what ails you then take it from me you can ride thither without fear of not finding her for my good friends the drawers tell me she has abode at home ever since your departed though it is true that none have seen her abroad of late. And with that the sergeant brought us our rapiers and cloaks, and for very shame we were bound to take them and bid an honourable retreat along the line which, by accident or design, he had left open for us. So, without more ado, we rode out through the throng which had assembled to greet us When they heard we had come, the good people followed us up the street to the gates and then fell to cheering us for two heroes, little thinking what sorry hearts those same heroes carried. So they cheered us and Drake and the Queen, as we rode out across the low land by the river, nor ceased till we began to climb the downs. The medway lay glistening in its mazy channels below us as we tapped the hill. Rainham Church Tower rose dimly before us. On either hand, the turf swept downward from the road, broken by clumps of trees in every hollow where they could find shelter from the wind. This and a score of other familiar landmarks seemed to bring the past very near and only increased my fear that the short time we had been away could not avail to heal the fearful wound I had made. Gladly would I have turned off on the road which led to Long Dean. As I had that first day I had seen Harry's wife, but I was resolved to go on to the end with him, not knowing how great his need might soon be of a comforter for his doubts had infected me with a heart-sickness as sore as his own the bright picture of her as she was that day faded away as the gables and turrets of Ashford came in sight and i gave way to wondering what she looked like now and of what she thought within those dim walls and that wondering ceased as we rode under the gateway and dismounted i could only then think of my brother he was deadly pale and clutched at my arm as he trod the steps and stepped like one about to faint would she had come out to meet us he murmured when she heard our horses in the court she must have heard them i knew not what to say but pressed his hand and put my arm through his to steady him up the steps he made a great effort as he reached the tap and threw open the door of the hall. there she stood in the lurid torch light by the great heart as though just rising from her seat she was pale and wild-eyed and stood irresolute gazing her heart out at him with her white hands spread out in a little in front of her as though the last spark of hope were dying within her and she hardly dared to plead ah me it was a picture of long endured misery as I pray God I may never see again and still less cause Harry stood it seemed so long waiting for some sign from her But she stood like a statue with no power to move. Then he advanced slowly towards her, and I followed in the hall. I had hardly stepped within when a sudden light came into her eyes as she cocked mine. She had seen me then for the first time. She had seen me and God be praised, knew by my being there that all must be forgiven with a little glad cry she sprang forward and in a moment those two i loved so well and had wronged so deeply were locked leap to leap in each other's arms i heard a stifled sob behind me and turned to see the tears rolling down the sergeant's bronzed face then we went forth that those two might be alone but very soon they came and called me back, and fed me with such loving words, as I could not have looked for had I been their greatest benefactor and not their curse. Their most gentle dealing with me quite unmanned me, so that I easily was persuaded to lie at Ashsted that night, but on the morrow I thought it best to go. Very dim and lonely was my library that night. My consuming grief was dead, drowned in their happiness and gentle usage of me. Yet it was very lonely. I tried to read, but each book I sought availed less to fasten my thoughts. So I sat musing on all that had befallen me those last months and trying not to think how empty and sad my great chair looked without the sweet burden which as it were i had once seen nestling there that fancy grew dim as the months were on and i was ever at ashtead as of old playing with little folk or hunting with Harry, or talking over old times with sergeant culverin who quickly settled down on Harry's right hand on his estate, and so continued till his honest spirit passed away. But with Mrs. Waldive, I read no more then, nor till years after, when through my thrice-blessed friendship with Signor Bruno, a deep-set faith came to comfort my ripening years and hers indeed it was little i read at all save in books of travel and cosmography study seemed a very poor and dry food to me at that time the more so as there was no longer any one to urge me to it. mr cutwright's strife was now nothing but a din of unmeaning words in my ears good mr follett my only other scholar friend was dead and his cherished apology still born for though he bequeathed the manuscript to me to set forth i found its original obscurity and tangled learning in so far as it was legible so overlaid and involved and interlined with added matter from the four quarters of earthly and unearthly wisdom as to be past human understanding. Each day then I saw more clearly that all was changed with me, and grew to know that thenceforth till age should bring me peace and studious quiet. My content could only be found at Frank Drake's side, or in such great and stirring work as his. And so it was, and not without good reward either both in honor and riches yet there was nothing which my unworthy service earned of her majesty's grace and bounty that i valued higher than the loving welcome which was so plentifully bestowed on me at ashtead each time i came home the end end of chapter twenty eight and of for and Gold by Julian Stafford Corbet